0: The Gubbi Gubbi are the traditional custodians of the lands we record this podcast on. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, as they hold the memories, tradition and culture of this land. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.
1: Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the survival stories of blood product recipients to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets, and breast milk. This season, we are also telling the stories of donors. If you have ever been a donor, you could have been the one who saved, prolonged, or improved the quality of life of the person that we profile here each week on the podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. I am building the Milkshakes for Mali movement to bridge the gap of anonymity between donors and their recipients. We saw the remarkable response of our community when Mali was at her sickest, battling life threatening autoimmune encephalitis and needing massive amounts of plasma. So many people that knew our family became first-time donors or made appointments to donate again after long breaks. So we decided to make a weekly podcast to tell the story of blood product recipients in the hope of inspiring donors all over Australia. If you have been inspired to donate as a result of this podcast or our advocacy, we would be honoured if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Miley Lifeblood team. I'll pop a link on how to do this in our show notes. This week, we welcome Jared and Michelle Weeks to the Milkshakes for Mali community. Jared is a professional basketball player playing in the NBL for the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers. His wife, Michelle, is a life coach, and together they have the most gorgeous baby boy named Freddie. They joined us on the pod to raise awareness about multiple myeloma to thank blood donors that prolonged and improved the quality for Michelle's father, Shane, before his passing from multiple myeloma. This week, Jeff is co hosting with me, and I hope you enjoy our chat with Jared and Michelle Weeks. Today, we have Jared and Michelle Weeks. So, welcome to the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. Thank you so much Thanks for so having us. Um, today, I also have my beautiful husband, Jeff, co hosting with me. Um, Jared plays basketball for the Jack Jumpers, and uh, listeners of the podcast will know that my husband has a blog which is unofficial it is the unofficial blog I have to always say it's the unofficial one (laughs) called the Green Ant Rant um where he follows the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers NBL basketball team so welcome to the podcast
0: thank you for having me
1: (laughs) Jared can we just open the episode with what it was like for you to make it through to the grand final series with the Jack Jumpers in their debut season
2: yeah I mean it was obviously an unbelievable experience um it's a tough one because as players we weren't really satisfied with the results on the court. But uh what we did for the community down here, um, for all of Tasmania to represent the state and um, you know, make Tassie proud and and put them on the map with the NBL team. They were uh, screaming for it uh since the devils went away. So to uh to represent the whole state and um get so close was an amazing re- achievement. Um but yeah, we've still got still got one more step to go.
1: Do you want to add anything onto that? Being a <laughs> long-time die-hard Tasmanian basketball fan, who was ridiculously excited <laughs> that they finally got an NBL team.
0: No, no, it was very, very exciting. It was, um, yeah, amazing. Even I remember watching the game to even get into the finals. It was and that went to overtime, and they just scraped in at number number four to get in. <laughs> and um, no, it was very exciting the whole way. Very sort of somewhat unexpected. And um, no, it, it was um a very um. Yeah, high bar for the first season, but bar more than anyone expected. So it's a very exciting, exciting time in our house.
1: (laughs) Very exciting. You probably could have almost heard us us cheering from the mainland, as they say (laughs) in Tasmania. (laughs) Um, So how many children do you guys have?
2: Uh, We have one currently, uh, little Freddie. He's just Mm -hmm. turned one in June, so end of financial year sales for him for the rest of his life
1: (laughs) (laughs) could Freddie be any cuter that is the most beautiful name (laughs) so um I didn't realize that he was so young but I was going to ask um if he enjoys watching daddy play basketball or does he just see that's what daddy does for work but I guess he probably just gets a bit hyped on the excitement of everybody (laughs) Yeah.
2: yeah
3: usually um well when when they were still in season he was still very little so um he was pretty good he pretty much just slept yeah. <laughs> through most of the games which was fun for me yeah um but yeah no he doesn't quite have an understanding yet but he he enjoys being around you know being on the court and racing around with the the balls and stuff so whether Yeah, I think he's got a few years
1: ahead on the basketball court in his life, (laughs) so we won't pick too early. Did you and Freddie tour very much with the team or did you just see them at the home games?
3: Yeah, no, we didn't. We didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. We just came to some of the home games when he was really little, it was um, easy to take him cause he would just sleep in the carrier. So I could go to some of the later games, but yeah. then um, as the season progressed, we would just watch it on telly here and yeah, um, yeah it was too late for, for him at night. So
1: yeah. they could probably hear us from, from here. as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so Michelle, I know that you have a business as a life and mindset coach. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you do? yeah
3: so i um i'm a qualified life coach and i um help mums basically um with their mindset so i help them build their mindset toolbox so that they are able to um be present in their lives be calm in their lives and really just soak in the everyday moments that they have with their families in their in their own personal life so um i have one on one coaching and i have a couple of um programs that the mums work their way through and i support them um just to kind of get a sense of how life doesn't have to be so crazy and and how they can kind of be the the active conscious choice in how they want to show up in their in their lives so um yeah I adore that
1: where were you when my kids were little <laughs> and admittedly when I saw life coach I assumed that it would be more um like professional career focused but mm. you know being a mum and looking yeah. after kids is yeah I a think... big job in itself so it's amazing to hear you talk about it in that way
3: oh thank you yeah look I mean I have some of my clients are they're they're kids are adults. So it's one of those things that, you know, it's a, it's a common experience that they learn to, to build the mindset tools that they can kind of, um, apply to lots of different scenarios across their whole life. Um, and so they come back to it again and again and again, which is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I think for me, um, so much of my own transition into motherhood going through some of the things that we went through when we were got, when I was going through that transition was down to the fact that I had a really solid um, mindset strategies around me. So that really helped the the transition be a lot easier um, and also just helped me actually soak it in and be present and those sorts of things, which is very important to me. So,
1: yeah. And I think that will speak to a lot of um, the followers and, that we have for the milkshakes for Mali movement and people that listen mm-hmm. to this podcast, because I think I have stopped seeing motherhood as that transition just being when you have your first baby, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've got three children that are living and we've got uh, one little boy who's passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and at each time that we've gone through a pregnancy or that one of our children has been diagnosed with a medical health condition, or three of our children have various physical and, you know, neurodevelopmental disabilities mm-hmm. I think there's a transition at each of those stages as well and it's almost like seeing it as seasons rather than just mm-hmm. that one transition so mm-hmm. um I'll pop a link in our show notes um to mm-hmm. your business and what you do because I think that's something that a lot of our listeners could benefit a lot from so mm-hmm. hopefully oh, we can do some connections through yeah the show.
3: that would be um wonderful I think yeah like I say it's um uh, every motherhood experience is so unique and so different, and um, being able to have tools that you are not like, you know, cookie cutter. It only applies to this situation. Whereas, um, you know, for me, I, I found when I first became a mum, there were so much information about feeding and sleeping and all those like regimented schemes. And I was like, but hang on, how about the (laughs) mum? you know, how about how we can get through it and we can equip ourselves to be resilient and we can equip Mm. ourselves to adapt to so many different Um, scenarios that get thrown our way and that's where it came from and Mm -hmm. um, that's where I continue to work with so many mums around their own personal circumstances and how those Um, you know tools can really be applied to
1: different scenarios so
3: yeah
1: I think one of the beautiful things of COVID as well is that you can offer that to anyone in the world really like it doesn't have to be locally based anymore and we have you know so many communities now that have been created online and we can access that from lots of different angles and different people absolutely Um, Now, you were nominated to come on as a guest of the podcast, Jared, and now we are sitting here with not just you and I, podcasting isn't a visual medium, but we have all four of us on the call now (laughs) Um, because you're doing a fundraiser this Sunday, the 7th of August for the Sydney Blood Cancer Research Institute through move for Myeloma. And of course, we'll include um, information in our show notes about this. Can you tell us a little bit about why this cause is something that's so close to your heart?
2: Um, yeah, so, um, Michelle's dad passed away, um, from multiple myeloma. Um, and, you know, as a family, we, uh, keen to, uh, try and help out in, you know, any way that we can. Uh, it's obviously something very close to us for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we saw Donna came along with a move for myeloma. Um, she's a patient, the same hospital with the same doctors and the same incredible crew that, um. Shane went through, and um, yeah, we're only too happy to to help out. We, mm. you know, got in touch with Michelle, and then yeah, it, it kind of just blossomed from there.
1: Mm. Isn't it insane to see the advocacy that people can make happen, even when they're in their absolute toughest times? So um, I have um, connected with Donna today, so we'll share some of that content okay. across our platforms as well when we put all of this information out. Mm. Um, one of the most important things that we like to do through this podcast is um, support and create community. So Mm -hmm. we love joining those dots for people. So we'll make sure that we do that for you guys as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Michelle, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm just so sorry to hear of the passing of your dad. Um, It's something that has touched our family as well. Um, Do you want to speak to that a little bit?
0: Yeah, sure. So my mother remarried but yeah her um husband a few years ago he also had multiple myeloma and he had um battled that for several years but um yeah riding that wave and with with, through the emotions that with both of them and um that was down at Hobart as well but it was um yeah so it did when I learned more about what you guys were doing it did remind me back there and I was just saying to speak to my mother tonight about it back some of those memories but she was sort of very excited to talk about it as well and was really excited mm-hmm. that stuff was still being you know that we were still doing some advocacy stuff for it and interesting how it sort of touches everybody mm-hmm.
3: I think that's the thing with multiple myeloma is that it's um it's not a very common cancer uh, or of the blood cancers it's not a very common cancer so um it goes un- undiagnosed and untreated for a, for a long time so a lot of what we're wanting to do is build that awareness around what some of the signs and symptoms are and what to look for and um you know just to be on, on top of that side of things so that there is a chance to um treat it earlier, to have um, you know, all the access to the med- medication and the med- medical professionals that you possibly can and to know what to look out for. Um, because certainly in my dad's um case, mm-hmm we had no we'd never heard of multiple myeloma before and and he um was misdiagnosed um early on for a short amount of time Um, he was misdiagnosed but the same sort of thing happened is we had no idea so if we can raise awareness for things of what to look for the signs and the symptoms where to get help um, we were just super lucky that we had had a doctor um, that noticed something was off and had treated someone like just before treating him um and they had been diagnosed with multiple myeloma so it was just on their radar but otherwise we wouldn't probably have known um for a a long while before we actually found out so I think that's part of it is just building that awareness around a blood cancer. That's not very common um, these days.
1: Yeah. So in terms of those signs and symptoms, um, people can experience bone fatigue, pain or fractures. It can be breathlessness, Mm -hmm. frequent infections, bruising, thirst and nausea Um, before your dad was experiencing any of those things. And before he Mm -hmm. came up, became unwell, can you just tell me a little bit about the man that he was?
3: Yeah, my dad was a beautiful human. <laughs> he was a um giant, gentle, wonderful man. Um he had uh, grown up in South Africa, so we we grew up in South Africa. Wow. We moved over here when I was um young and he had had a a very um successful rugby career over there. Um and then come across to Australia and just him and my mum Gave up a lot for my sister and I to come here and start a life that was very um di- very different to what we had experienced. But for the sake for the sake of our safety to mm-hmm. come over here and to give up so much of their support network and and all of their loved ones and everything that they'd built in their life, we will be eternally grateful to them for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Dad was just such a beautiful human. He had this knack about him of being able to every single person that he ever talked to felt like they were seen they were heard they were understood he's very calm very gentle um had a very wide network of people that just loved him it was yeah. hard not to love him and I think um you know him being our dad we were very lucky to to have that very personally in our everyday lives but the way that he made us feel in our lives was really just the way that he made everyone feel in their in their lives so it didn't matter who it was what they were what you know what their story was he was always interested to um hear more and to give people the time of day and and just connect with them really so um yeah he was a really very very special human.
1: <laughs> it sounds like a very special human. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um so what signs did he have? Like when did he realize that he was becoming unwell? What warning signs did he experience? So, like I said for
3: us it was um a very it caught us by surprise hugely mm-hmm. because he had been um talking about having some soreness in his ribs and his sort of pelvis. And he kept um, talking about them in terms of it being almost like a crampy feeling. Um, And so for him, you know, he was a very fit fit person. He'd always been healthy. He'd always been fit. And so he kept just being like, oh, you know, it's just uh, playing it down as he did the whole way through. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, a little bit of just discomfort in regards to feeling it around his lungs, uh, sorry, his rib cage and his pelvis. And anyway, I, I, we didn't obviously know anything about it. And he had gone just for a routine scan. I think it was a heart scan. Mm -hmm. I'd have to double check with my sister, Mm -hmm. but I think it was a heart scan. um, And it had come up with um, some shadows on, on his torso. And um, like I said before, the, the radiologist or whoever was looking at it um, decided that they had seen someone just recently who had who had a similar thing and um decided to get it seen further and at the time um it basically was put down to being just old rugby injuries so mm-hmm. just like compact injuries from from rugby from for a long time and um anyway they went through you know then this he went to see a, a doctor and um, it was like, oh, look, these are signs of multiple myeloma. Mm-hmm. So that was the first hit that we kind of got and the first time that we'd heard anything about it. But um, after that, they went and did a couple of tests. Um, they did a um, like a bone marrow Technical terms. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and just a reminder, <laughs> just you. to our listeners, but as well to you guys, that this is not a medically and scientifically correct podcast. So you <laughs> yes. just call it whatever you remember it to be. This Thank is about you. your memories, and this is your story.
3: <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Yes. No. So, um, uh, I can't think of Extraction. the action. Yeah. No, the bone marrow test. There, Yes, they (laughs) went in through his pelvis and took an extraction of his bone marrow. Anyway, a long story short, that came back um, saying, no, it was clear for myeloma. So we kind of had had this like huge shock to begin with. This might be multiple myeloma. And then a a two-week period, Jared and I were actually um, living in New Zealand at the time, but we had a two-week period where it was Oh, actually, don't worry, like, whew, that was close, but um, it's not multiple myeloma. And then after that amount of time, it then came back that actually it it was. Um, and he so my dad had a um a, a rare form of multiple myeloma, a rare and very aggressive form, which is um it was called um non-secreting myeloma. So it didn't show up in the normal ways that myeloma does. Right. Um, and that is through. You know, paraben uh, paraproteins and calcium and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um for him, it, it wasn't presenting like it normally would in a in a traditional multiple myeloma case, which is why it had um been, you know said that it wasn't that that was yeah, the yeah. case. So Fair luckily, no he had further testing done, and they worked out that actually it well, it was. And um, so we were back on that back on that roller coaster. Um, and that's, I think, the first, yeah, the first hit that we had of um, that initial sort of shock of what does this look like? And and at that time we didn't know anything about it. So mm-hmm. I remember very vividly having conversation with my mum and my dad and them saying, no, this is the good cancer. Like this is a good, If all the cancers that you can have, this is a good one sure. because, you know, you, you can get it treated and then in 10 years, you know, the, it's not curable, but it's the good one, you know, like it's, mm. you can, we can keep it at bay for 10 year periods and there's ways to, we can do that. And so having that was kind of like, oh, okay, but you know, uh, still, we didn't know quite what that meant. Um mm. And then, yeah, we started the roller coaster from there. And um it was, I think, I, I think it was 17 months from the day that he was Di- like f- formally diagnosed to the day that he passed mm. and um, his medical team were incredible. Mm. We cannot speak highly enough of all of the team at the, at the RPA in Sydney. Um, his professor, Dr. Uh, professor Joy Ho, who, who, and all of her team are just phenomenal, w- phenomenal. We do not have words to describe how they looked after my dad Um how they looked after us, my mum, my sister, all of our family, um, and the incredible lengths that they went to to try and um, yeah, help dad in 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 the aggressiveness of his of his cancer. They truly, yeah, went above and beyond. So, um, yeah, it was a very aggressive form of multiple myeloma um and we didn't i don't think any of us actually thought that he would die from it either
2: no, we not quickly anyway
3: yeah we we kind of had it as a long a long term disease but um yeah it was we were we were lucky for him to go through treatment and there were periods that he was um uh, you know like more frail and um less well but then there were also periods that there was a pretty good chunk in the middle of that yeah. year that he he was pretty good, like obviously nowhere near what he was before, but pretty good in in terms of still being able to get out and and um see things and do things and you know be a little bit more um mobile.
2: Mm.
1: Um
3: so yeah, and then do you want me to just keep going or <laughs> yeah. This is your episode.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um I don't think
0: um, yeah, I'll oh, oh, just, uh, just a question. Oh, but just, I uh, and only I to talk to my mum about it, but um, with the, I guess the treatment that she found with her partner was, um, the one thing she'd like about it, he'd have to go to hospital frequently, but he got to do a lot of stuff from home as well. It was a bit of a mixed treatment as mm-hmm. well. He had some blood transfusions, but was on some medications. Is, is that sort of the, um, how you fit? Was that similar with your dad or? Um,
3: yeah, so there were, um, uh, there was, it was definitely a mix so he um ended up having a stem cell transplant um which was successful to a certain um degree
2: mm-hmm.
3: but that in that sort of entailed obviously a whole heap of bombing his system with with chemo yeah. um and then going to a very low um like a zero blood white blood cells yeah um and then from that they harvest the stem stem cells do what they need to do wash them i'm they not sure what them. they do with them yeah. <laughs> and then yep. prepare them um, yeah prepare <laughs> them um and then basically um for a period of time they then reinsert the stem cells and and um from my very non medical understanding that is in a, in a Normal myeloma that is a really great way to kind of um, reboot the system to get the the um, paraproteins down to get the calcium level down and all those sorts of things
2: mm-hmm.
3: um and that then helps with treatment in between to keep the cancer at bay mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that treatment is done through you know tablets at home um or injections or and then just blood monitoring with the teen. Mm-hmm um dads didn't quite go like that there was a period that that did happen um but he also went on uh um due to just the numbers kind of sneaking back up quite quickly um he then started a trial which was the T trial um and it was fascinating to see the support that he got the you know the lengths that everyone went to to try and get more information, to try anything basically that we could, every single thing that they could have yeah. tried, they tried. Um, which, when you lose someone, I think is is also um, so comforting in knowing that just like literally every all yeah. stops were taken, every single thing was done, and it doesn't make it any easier, and it doesn't um, make you miss the person less, but certainly um, allows you to be so grateful for um medicine and mm-hmm. for the system and for the expertise of the people who are out there every day working their butts off to mm-hmm. to you know help people nurse them back to health or or nurse them just back to a state of feeling comfortable and and able to spend as much time with their family mm-hmm. so um yeah unfortunately for dad he did have a period that he was quite good um but the numbers were just too aggressive so he ended up going into hospital um one day in September. Late, yeah. yeah, late September. And um it, and that was purely just because his calcium levels were so high that you know it was they basically were like, you you are in today, like yes. you, you can't go home. This is it.
1: Yeah.
3: Um and again we thought it could be flushed out, but it just progressively got worse. And and unfortunately he didn't come home after that day. So um yeah, so that was his Kind of treatment journey that i'm sure there's about a million different specifics within that <laughs> but That's as a very fun. zoomed out view that that was yeah. um the the journey that he went on Yeah,
1: i'm so sorry for your loss
3: mm,
1: thank you i'm just so really? sorry um Jared, where were you in your basketball career in all of this and how did that factor into the time that you guys could spend with Shane during that
2: time? Yeah, so that was a really tough part for us, obviously, Shane going through the cancer and his battle and, you know, not getting to see him. But like Michelle said at the start, we were in New Zealand Mm -hmm. um, playing in the off-season down there. Um, And then we got relocated due to COVID for the New Zealand Breakers, so we got relocated to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the calls kind of came in that Michelle should go home. Um, and that was probably in October, September. September at the same time. And then I stayed on the road. Um, obviously we were in season during the time mm-hmm. and then we got shafted every which way and what yeah. that year. So not being able to, Uh, get home. Luckily enough, the GM and the club actually allowed me to go home for four days so I could see him um, as the team was coming over, um, which I'm forever grateful for. So Shane got to see my gorilla feet under the... I'll never forget that. And said, "I oh, know those gorilla feet walking under the tent." Um, and isn't
1: it crazy? Those things that you remember out uh, of those times that will stick with you forever. Yeah,
2: hundred percent. And that's just who. I he mean, it was accurate. He does <laughs> have
1: gorilla feet. So.
2: <laughs>
1: um, this is a safe space here. We share all. The <laughs>
2: <things>. <laughs> it's no pictures. Um,
1: and I think you know that's an interesting thing. Bringing it back to what we were talking about about the Jack Jumpers journey from last year, and you know sport is religion to so many people in Australia Mm. and it's such a big part of the defining part of Australian culture is the sporting Mm. team that you follow. And, you know, it brings people together in such a big way, but it's rare that we really examine the sacrifices that people, you know, players and families make to have Mm. those successes become a reality. So, Thank mm. you for sharing that part of it because, yeah. you know, nice. it was a big sacrifice for Michelle to not mm. have her partner support her through that time and for you to not be present with a family member during that time as well. So, mm. yeah, Yeah,
2: it was, we got, we got hit a few times <laughs> um, during that period. Um, obviously, Michelle was pregnant with Freddie at the time as well yeah. um, to add that on and then COVID and then. I was able to go see her and then the borders closed that day that Michelle was supposed to come in and, you know, that got pushed back and obviously not being able to be there to, um, you know, when he passed away and at the wake or anything like that, it was all remote, which was really hard. Um, obviously probably would have been harder there, I guess, but um, yeah, yeah just a just a tough moment for us mm. in general. So.
3: It was a a little bit of a crazy week, the week that we had, I think we found out on the, Tuesday or the Monday that we were pregnant with Freddie Um, and by the Thursday we got the call from my dad's professor to say look you know I think it's time that you come back and we knew that that call like we were mobilized for for that call at some point in time Um, so we got that call on the Thursday and packed up my entire life the Thursday night got on the plane the Friday. Friday and then didn't see Jared or saw Jared for those four days. And and then it was like about four months. So Jared didn't see yeah. me for half the pregnancy wow. <laughs> and then missed out, obviously we're well, not missed out. That's not the right words, but yeah. um, was not able to be there and, and really, um, you know, being on the road in that environment was, was tricky for anyone, but um yeah it was it was very um tough. it was tough for him to to be there without anyone around, but to be moving every couple of weeks and to be in a very intense environment without any outlet um and to be going through you know the grief that goes with with what was happening was um yeah, pretty pretty huge for yeah. you, I think, and pretty um yeah, it it took a lot of courage to work out what it was that he needed in order to um yeah prioritize himself and and us as a family as well which was um a lot at that point in time (laughs) a lot going on in that point
1: (laughs) this sounds like a trivial question and I ask this of you as you are a mindset coach how the fuck do you care about (laughs) the outcome of a basketball game when you've got your pregnant wife like and she's going through all of that like and I and. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have been there playing basketball. That is not what (laughs) I mean by that comment at all. But, you know, we put so much pressure on our sports people to perform at the level that they do every time they take the court and you make the smallest mistake. We have been through a very long journey with Marley, and I'll get to that in a minute. But Mm -hmm. our care factor for anything happening outside the doors of this house or our hospital rooms is completely non-existent. And it's a phenomenal testament to the fact that you had the mental strength to be able to get on a court and give a shit every week. Mm -hmm. And that's not just you. Like that's players all the time. Like everyone's got this stuff going on in their lives all the time.
2: A hundred percent. And like you said, this was what I was going through. It was obviously a very, you know, big thing on the the scale Mm -hmm. of, you know, things that your pregnant wife is at home in a hospital with your father-in-law who's dying um, yeah. and then you're supposed to go practice that afternoon after you find out um, there's not a lot of motivation to go <laughs> to go play um, obviously I tried to you know use that as an outlet um, you know hey I'm on the court let's try mm. and do things but yeah. obviously that has its point when you're going through this and you got you know you, your wife who's you know, just lost her father and you're stuck in a hotel in Hobart that you can only go outside for mm-hmm. practice. And then you come straight back into your hotel room. So um yeah, a bit of a, bit of a tough situation, but one, you know, we, we navigated through and. um
3: I think the other yeah. thing to note is that from the outset, dad would have been so upset if you came home. Oh, absolutely.
2: <laughs> so that was,
3: that was one of the big factors. He was like, you are not, you are not getting on that plane. You are staying there. You are doing this. And I'm going to sit here and watch you on the telly and that's going to be my happy place. So uh, yeah, I think that was, cool. that was a big part of it, actually. Yeah. factor as well is that the last thing dad would ever have wanted was for him to, to come home and, you know, not do the thing that has brought out both our families so much joy for such a long time as well doesn't mean that it was any easier (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I think when you're talking about that like external motivation that that comes into it of like actually he would have loved me to be out here you know he Mm -hmm. and he did he would sit and watch every single game with his t-shirt and his beer and his undies (laughs) and cheer very loudly (laughs) and all of those sorts of things so um
1: I think that that's part of it as well yeah were you able to tell him that you were pregnant? I, I was, yes. Oh, that's so yeah. special. I'm so it happy was, to hear that. I was. Yeah. I would gladly have edited that question out had the answer been <laughs> no. no. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, um, we did. We really managed special. to. Um,
3: He um, was pretty sick by that point. He was He was pretty sick. But I managed to come home and have... Uh, I think it was about four months um, that we could just basically be in the hospital with him all day long. Um, My mom and my sister and I luckily um, were given permission to to spend that time with him. Um so yeah, we had um photos like ult- ultrasounds of Freddie and he mm, didn't know um that he was on the way. He didn't obviously get to meet him, but yeah. he was on the way, which is very, very
1: special. Mm, and that's beautiful memories that you'll be able to share with Freddie in the future as oh well, that absolutely. Grandpa absolutely. knew exactly who he was and yeah he was yeah yeah, and yeah, shared. In that joy of you guys creating a family.
3: Totally. My sister had took a video of me telling him and he was very oh, excited. So that's so very special as well.
1: That. Yeah. That's
3: cool. It's in his little
1: nursery. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Um, Now, Michelle, I've had a look um, on some of your Instagram stuff. And one of the things that I have absolutely (laughs) adored is the lessons from your dad. Um, (laughs) And you shared one on your Instagram page of him saying, um, you actually only have the here and the now and waiting is a wasted state. Now, I don't know how much you guys know about our story, probably very little, um, but regular listeners of the podcast will know um, that our daughter, Marley, is sort of how this podcast got started. Um, At the age of three, she was diagnosed with a life-threatening condition called seronegative pediatric autoimmune encephalitis, um, meaning that her immune system is wrongly identifying her healthy brain cells as foreign and attacking her brain. Um, There's no cure. her condition but we can manage the symptoms with human plasma in the form of intravenous immunoglobulin infusion which you may have heard referred to as IVIG Um, and in the words of her pediatric immunologist these infusions are life-saving when she relapses and life-preserving for every infusion in between Um, and we're incredibly lucky that she is now six and we say that she has blown out three sets of bonus birthday candles um we haven't really lost her quite a few times. Um, And at the moment she's in remission um, and our teams talk about when she relapses, not if she relapses. All of the Mm -hmm. evidence suggests that given the way her condition has progressed, that this is, you know, it is a lifelong thing and we Mm -hmm. don't get away from it. Um, But that quote waiting really is a wasted state is so reflective of our life and the way that we are living right now so she's well enough that she's able to go to school three days a week four hours a day Um, she can wear a little school uniform like all of her friends you know she started a couple of years later than everybody else but that doesn't matter Um, Mm -hmm. she's able to go to ballet classes on a Friday afternoon and she's got her seizure response service dog Patty and they just love life so much Mm -hmm. and I think As a family, having spent so much time in children's hospitals and so much time separated um, Mm -hmm. and having said goodbye to her a few times and Mm -hmm. being told that she's not going to see another sunrise and, you know, we know how close we have come to losing her. It's changed our priorities and it's changed the way that we are raising our children and we're just living so much more mindfully than we ever have Mm -hmm. before. And that's so reflective of that comment that you put Mm -hmm. as one of your dad's quotes um what legacy has your dad left in the way that you guys um live day to day and the way that you hope to raise your family well Drink the firstly wine.
3: firstly thank you guys for sharing that with us and and for raising the awareness and we can't even begin to to imagine what you you have been through so um the courage to be able to share that and to to live um, and to share those stories with other people and to highlight other people's stories is is incredible in and of itself. So thank you <laughs> very much for that.
2: Thank
3: you. Um, we have, yeah, we've learned a lot. <laughs> we've a learned a lot yeah. <laughs> um, I think fundamentally, it changed how we show up in in our everyday lives. So, um one of the big lessons that I learned from dad was God love him, but he was, you know, all he was waiting to retire to go and do the things, right? And um him and my mum had actually just bought a, a, a camper van and they were gonna go and explore. And unfortunately that didn't come to fruition. Um, so a big part of what we have taken out of it is you know, drink the good wine, use the good plates, um, do the things, you know, experience those because, and I wrote, I wrote that waiting um, quote, actually sitting next to dad as he was passing away in the hospital the very same day. um, And it was just such a, a huge moment for me to be like, you know what, I don't, I don't want to wait in this life. Like we're living this life now and we get to do that. And obviously we're not, irresponsible in that but it's the approach that we we have to really soaking in those small moments and and appreciating them and um not always feeling like it's going to happen, you know, like it's, it's coming or, or just got to wait until X, Y, Z for us. It's like, we can actually create those experiences now for us yeah. and yeah. we can make, you know, we, and, and it doesn't mean that it just happens, but we actually wake up every day and we work on that and we choose to work on that. And we choose to show Freddie that that's how we, you know, we want him to experience life too. Yeah. And certainly that's the same for for everyone in our, in our family. So um it's been a huge learning curve to just say you know the living is happening now (laughs) like you're gonna miss out if you're waiting for it to happen later Mm -hmm. um and that doesn't have to be grand and that doesn't have to be all these different things but it's like a choice in a mindset of how you show up and and how you um you know use the perspective of life to be able to go through life you know (laughs) We really
1: found it, like it's brought our um, priorities just into such clarity and we just know exactly what we want and where we're going and, you know, how we want to make the world a beautiful place for our children. But we've also found that it's really helped us to find, to define boundaries and to only say yes to the things that we actually really want to invest our time in because your time is so limited and we don't like, we don't know how much time we're going to have as a family altogether. So Yeah. um, yeah, it's an important thing to say no, as well as to say yes to the things. Absolutely. And I think totally. And I think for us,
3: I mean, we've always, you know, been very similar in our approach and, and we talk about it, but it was a really great opportunity for us to say like, like, what are our values? Like mm. as a team going forward, what are our values and how are we going to define those? And how are we going to live by that? Not just, you know, oh, well, we know what's important to us, but like, mm. these are the things that we live by mm. and this is how we show up and do it every day. And this is what it looks like. And this is how we embody that in our everyday lives instead of, um, you know, it, it was a great conversation for us to have, to mm. be on the same path as a, as a yeah. team, but also as a family going mm. forward as well. So mm. um. Yeah, there's you, there's got to be positives
1: in it somewhere. Absolutely, there <laughs> is. And we say that, that, you know, the night that we had actually said goodbye to Marley and unfortunately we couldn't even be bedside with her when we were told that she was going to pass away due to COVID regulations oh,
2: because we had goodness.
1: been in contact with a potentially positive COVID patient. Jeff and oh, I needed to goodness. return two negative tests before we could be allowed back on hospital grounds. and. They weren't anticipating that she would last the 36 hours that that would take oh, for us to good. be bedside with her so we had to poor jeff had to say goodbye to her via a video call we had 10 minutes oh. to say goodbye to her and then she was just wheeled away into an isolation oh. room and i just had to stand there and let her go Oh my
3: goodness. um
1: but at about four o'clock that morning because of course you can't sleep because we were just waiting for the phone call from the hospital to say that she had passed um I just scrolled over and I said, if there's any chance that we get out of this, then this is what we're doing, or this is just how we're raising our other boys. And, you know, we were living in Canberra at that stage, no pediatric intensive care unit. So we were constantly being airlifted to Sydney and our family was yeah. separated. And I was like, we don't, like we move, like, if there's any chance we get through this, I don't care if we have to sell our house. I don't like, I literally just don't care about anything that I might've cared about yesterday if yeah. somehow we make it to sunrise here yeah. we just completely change our lives and we have we mm-hmm. sold our house in Canberra and we've moved to the Sunshine Coast and I am full-time carer for the kids now and you know make the podcast and do some writing and some other things. Um, Jeff's knocked it back to a four-day week so that he can spend as much time with our kids as we can and mm-hmm. our priorities have just changed so mm-hmm. dramatically and we're also just bloody living living on the coast and the life that we're creating and, living you know, it's not coast. a change that we would have made had Marley not yeah. been on well. So you don't want, you know, I would give anything to still be living in freezing cold Canberra and have all of our children <laughs> not have health concerns as well. Yes, swap. absolutely. <laughs> you have to lean into the positives that, yeah. you know, come out of things like this because you can't control all of the other stuff, but yeah. we can control our reactions to it
3: absolutely yeah. absolutely and and I think that's you know uh, that's also a testament to to you guys too because I feel like it the the fundamental shift of of priorities is is one thing but then to also have the courage to yeah, then to follow through yeah. on that and to make those changes happen mm-hmm. um to you know that's not how all grief is experienced and grief is obviously experienced very differently by everyone
1: yeah um
3: but it it really shows just how um yeah the the benefit that your children will have of seeing you guys say right like this is it this is what we value we prioritize and we follow through on this and that's Means that you know, as a family, we get to experience whatever time that we have left together. Yeah. You know, in such a way that we can really soak it in, and we can really be there, and just like you know, live live the life. <laughs> yeah.
1: And we are. We're certainly yeah. living the life. No, so. definitely.
0: No, I remember the chats we had when she was going in, and we're waiting for that phone call, and we'd had sort of had that thing, you know, from here on in, this is what we're going to do, and then we finally got the call, and she was okay. Like, hey. I remember Kate oh, sort of hanging over the phone, and the next thing is like, righto where are we moving to i mean you've got the list out and we're like they're trying to places and we don't really care where we're going to go but it's we've got to move and it was yeah, yeah. just, mm-hmm. and i think that was sort of in june and then by september we sold yeah. the house we'd sort of done everything and we we'd moved wow. it was just one of these mm. in the middle of COVID, mm-hmm. where you know it's the last thing you should have been doing, but it was like, we're yeah. go, and it was just, yeah, it was a um, mm-hmm. just straight away, that was just not even thinking, we just said, No, we've got to go, and it was,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. it's
0: amazing, you know, there was, you know, a few you know, hurdles on the way, but it's like, you know, it's difficult, you know, what we we're going to be work. It's like, we don't really care. Like we just got to, we've got to go. Like it's, there's not, there was okay. nothing yeah. worth staying where we were. Yeah. It was just, we'd had a few yeah. close calls and we're like, we don't want this to happen again. Um, yeah. Cause mm. yeah, just with the transfer and not having care nearby, we said we have to be somewhere close. So mm. got a list of all the pediatric and tested care units in Australia. And we just sort of went mm. through and pros <laughs> and cons of where we're going to go. <laughs> and this, this that's what it was like. You're going to have a list and start crossing them off and, um. Yeah. No. It's funny what. Yeah. Those situations do where you know yeah. you'd think normally you know twelve months before would be crazy, but then it was like this is just what we have to mm. do. It's funny how those things mm. you just change. And, yeah.
1: How many excuses um, you can
0: make? Yes. What a house
1: sight unseen because it was disability friendly. <laughs> Molly was mixed use in a wheelchair. First time we saw the house was on settlement day. Like oh my. Goodness. We look back and we did <laughs> some really really crazy stuff, but we just didn't care because it just wasn't what's, important. Yeah. What's the word? Yeah, yeah. No. Like no, it's exactly. what's the worst thing that can happen?
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: and that's it it's like when you say it's not important it's like literally isn't it's it not. crazy how oh, yeah. from one second to the next it can be something that's very important and quite literally the next second you're like uh, no uh, like no interest whatsoever in that like that is number seven million and four <laughs> on our yeah, list yeah. right now Absolutely. it's such an interesting
1: experience yeah mm. um so Coming close to the end of the episode, um, we'll round it out with talking about blood donors playing such a vital role in preserving and improving the quality of lives of cancer patients um, Mm -hmm. all over Australia every single day. Um, And it seems that blood donors have played a role in your dad's treatment. Um, What message do you have for Australian blood donors or anyone who's considering a donation in the future? Well...
3: Yeah, they literally saved my dad's life
1: <laughs> to a certain extent. Well,
3: yeah. That's probably,
1: <laughs> I mean, they gave you more time. And that's one of the they, things yes. that we, yeah, they
3: yeah, even if it um,
1: didn't ultimately save his life, it certainly gave you yes. guys more time. And we also talk a lot about, um, particularly after cancer treatment and patients mm-hmm. becoming neutropenic and that kind of thing, is that mm-hmm. it really can improve quality of life and improve the quality of Absolutely. that reduced time.
2: Um, which is really
1: important when you're trying to say goodbye and to make those meaningful decisions, you know, around end of life care and, you know, next steps and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, dad was getting a huge amount of blood, um,
3: specifically towards, towards the end there. And I think, um, one of the huge benefits of that was that it was helping to keep him a little more lucid than, than what he would have been without, um, having the, the blood immune system. So, um, for us, that was obviously a, a wonderful way to, to, for Jared, to see him for, um, the people that came to see him at the end. Um, it was, a. A really lovely way for him to actually be able to recognize them and and I don't know if there's a direct correlation there but certainly he was he was receiving a lot Mm -hmm. of um plasma and a lot of red red blood Mm -hmm. um you know multiple um sachets a day Mm -hmm. um so we were very 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 grateful for everyone who had put the time aside especially from the plasma side of things as well because I know that that is um you know a, a, a greater uh, investment when you're donating um but that was truly something that um, he benefited from so much and as a result we benefited from too so we will we'll be forever grateful for the people who have um you know, who, who make it part of their routine as well, who go however often they want. And and like you said before, once you're a donor, you're always a donor, but those people that, um, you know, have it as part of their routine and go back and, and they will probably never know the impact that they have on, um, the lives that they are changing and the families that they're giving extra time to. So we're very grateful for them in, in that sense and, and appreciate the time that they put into. So generously giving their health for the, for the sake of others as well. yeah
1: so here at the Milkshake Somali podcast, what we try to do is bridge that gap of anonymity between donors and their recipients. So um, the idea is that if you've ever been a blood donor, you can listen to an episode of our podcast and you could have been the one to save or preserve mm-hmm. the life of the guests that we profile here each week. Oh, so I to the blood donors that. so amazing. much yeah. that we're <laughs> donating um during the time that your dad was unwell. Um, we just say thank you to them today yeah. for what they've been able to do, but also to thank you guys as blood donors, particularly with the new UK ban being lifted, um, it's wonderful to have you as part of the Milkshakes for Mali movement as blood donors. Um, I can't thank you enough for the vulnerability with which you've shared your story today. I think it's going to have a really big impact on a lot of people and hopefully get some more donors in the chair. Um, and we look forward at some stage when we come and watch a game to drinking the good <laughs> wine with you guys. Yes. Yes. Very soon. <laughs> Don't you worry? We'll have to we'll have to get more because we would have drunk the good wine by then. But we'll get that. more good wine. There's no well, shortage. If you guys are wine in Tasmania, like that, yeah. there's good wine. There's plenty of good, good wine. Either. We've got the glasses at the ready. We would love, love, love to have you guys here. Absolutely. Lovely.
3: Thanks,
0: guys. Um, sorry. Thanks. Before we finish, sorry as well. Just a final during a final, a, during the final plug for your walk on the weekend as well I'm just, i know it's in hobart but i remember seeing there's a way everyone outside wants mm-hmm. to be involved you quickly um explain that before we finish up
3: yeah so so um donna who is a current um multiple myeloma patient through rpa at, at sydney she has the same medical team um as my dad did and um she has put together the move for myeloma movement day which is this sunday um one of the benefit, or not one of the impacts of myeloma is a restriction in in movement so um, move for myeloma basically was created in a sense of um, there was no specific goal for them for anyone to partake so anyone can partake from wherever they are um, if it is a big walk, if it is riding, if it's a game of touch, whatever it may be. For for some patients, some days it's literally just being able to get up and potentially stretch in in their own living room. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why Move for Myeloma is not a specific area or place, but it's inviting everyone to come to or to come together with people that they may know, or just to think about it, move their bodies on that on their weekend um, this coming weekend, um, and to raise awareness for, for, um, multiple myeloma as a whole. So we will be down at Kingston beach in Hobart at 8am this Saturday. Uh, sorry, this Sunday, this Sunday (laughs) morning. (laughs) We'll edit that bit out. It's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) The 7th of, um, August. Um, and if, yeah, all, all the proceeds and the donations go to the Sydney Blood Cancer research institute um which they are just doing incredible work for the families and the patients of um, multiple myeloma so wherever you are you are more than welcome to take part partake my sister and my mum are up on the central coast all our friends are having a go wherever they are um it's a lovely opportunity for them to get together go for a walk have a coffee um wear their beanies and um support this this movement and um, the courage of Donna to be able to go through treatment and to organise something like this is is blows our mind. So anything that we can do to support her and the movement and to to get or what we have found is people want to get involved people want to support um you know people are so ready to to help out in any which way so having um move for myeloma as as a way to do that certainly all of our loved ones are so excited to get out there and and um support in any way they can so
1: yeah thank you so much guys really (laughs) appreciate (laughs) your
2: time thanks for having us guys.
1: I've popped information in the show notes on how you can support Move for Myeloma and the fundraiser that Jared and Michelle are participating in this Sunday, 7th of August in Hobart. You can be involved from anywhere in Australia. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This episode was written and hosted by me Kate Fisher. Today's guests were Jared and Michelle Weeks co-hosting an audio production by my beautiful husband Jeff. To make an appointment to donate please call Lifeblood on 13 14 95. Our lifeblood team is called Milkshakes for Mali, and we have donors from all over Australia. So please join us and add your donation to our team tally. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please join us on Facebook or Instagram for additional content about our family with additional needs. And we would love to have you as part of the Milkshakes for Mali community. And as always, please rate, share, review, and send this episode to a friend. And as always, I'll leave the final word to Mali.
2: Thank you for my plasma.